Welcome to SLP Learning Series, a podcast series presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. The SLP Learning Series explores various topics of speech-language pathology. Each season dives deeper into a topic with a different host and guests who are leaders in the field. Some topics include stuttering, AAC, sports concussion, teletherapy, ethics, and more. Each episode has an accompanying audio course on speechtherapypd.com and is available for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. Now, come along with us as we look closer into the many topics of speech-language pathology. Welcome to Season 6, Ease into AAC. As a global leader in assistive communication, Toby Dynavox understands how overwhelming it can be for families, users, and even seasoned clinicians to take on the challenges of identifying and funding an assistive communication device. We are eager to support speech-language pathologists and other professionals in assessing and implementing AAC solutions for their clients. Our website, tobydynavox.com, and our free learning hub, learn.tobydynavox.com, are full of therapy materials, classroom resources and curriculum, and hardware and software trainings to help our customers embrace AAC with confidence. Additionally, the Toby Dynavox for Professionals program allows you to register for free versions of our software to use with clients. Hello, and welcome to the podcast mini-series, Ease Into AAC, presented by SpeechTherapyPD.com. Thank you for joining us for our second episode, All About Assessment. This audio course is offered for 0.1 ASHA CEUs. And as a reminder, if your state license requires CEUs, be sure to complete all course, mat- all course modules, including the one that says quiz before the end of today on your speechtherapypd.com account. I am your host, Kate Thompson, and I am a certified practicing speech pathologist from Australia. I have worked with people with using AAC for the last 10 years, and it's an area I am incredibly passionate about and will talk about nonstop. <laughs> but as the host of this podcast, I need to let you know that I receive compensation from Speech Therapy PD, but I have no other financial or non-financial relationships to disclose. Before we get started, there are just a couple of things I wanted to mention, and that's that we love questions and engagement from our participants. So if you have any questions or thoughts, ideas, aha moments that you'd love to share, um, you can either share those in the chat box if joining us live, or you can send them through to me directly to my email. Like I said, I love to talk about AAC, uh, so feel free to send through any questions or thoughts that you have to my email, which is kate, K-A-T-E, at speechease, S-P. E E C H E A S E dot net dot AU. All right, so let's get into the topic for today, which is all about assessment. So I'm going to be talking through assessment best practices and considerations, what different assessments are available up out there, and, and what is, I guess, a really great process to follow when doing assessments. And we're also going to touch on goal setting today as well. 
So just to recap, our general aim for AAC should be for the person to meet their varied communication requirements as intelligibly, specifically, efficiently, independently, and in as socially valued a manner as possible. So when we're looking to assess somebody's communication skills for AAC, we need to be thinking about these five areas. Are they able to get their message across intelligibly, specifically, efficiently, independently, and in as socially valued a manner as possible. And while we're thinking about those five things, we need to think about them in relation to the person's varied communication requirements. So that's thinking about pragmatics, all the different pragmatic purposes that we have to communicate. So thinking about things like not just requesting their wants and needs, but also thinking about telling a story, sharing their opinion on an idea or or a topic telling a lie, telling a joke, asking questions, answering questions, giving directions, helping somebody, sharing information, all of the things that we use our communication for. We also want to think about their communication requirements in terms of what comes up in their day. So do they go to school? Do they need to be able to engage in a classroom conversation or be able to ask the teacher for some more information or help? Are they at work and they need to give a presentation or to lead a team meeting or to ask someone what their order is or manage somebody's complaint? All of those sorts of things. Do they have medical appointments that they need to attend? And is there certain words they need to have access to to be able to communicate really efficiently with their medical team? Thinking about the person's varied communication requirements, both the situations they come across in their day and also what their pragmatic functions are or the the range of pragmatic purposes we all use our communication for, will help us to determine when we're doing our assessment, what does this person need? So it's really important to be thinking about those. So when we're thinking about assessment considerations, There's a couple of things we need to remember. So one is that when you're assessing someone who has complex communication needs for AAC, we're in a bit of a catch-22. So we can't determine the person's true level of functioning if the person isn't able to reliably show us what they know. If they don't have a robust communication system that they can use independently, they're not going to be able to reliably show us what they know. We then can't plan viable communication intervention because we have lack of data regarding the person's true level of functioning. So then we kind of end up in this catch-22 of I need to assess, I need to be able to know what they can do to be able to give them the right intervention so that they can get outcomes so I can figure out if that was the right intervention. And we end up, but then we go, actually, no, we can't assess this person because they don't have a way to show us what they know. And so now I can't give them an intervention approach. And so we just keep waiting for this spontaneous combustion of skill. Um, And that's not going to happen. The person doesn't have a way for them to show us what they know. And so assessment I guess this is my my way of saying that assessment isn't the be-all and end-all when it comes to AAC intervention and working within the AAC realm. What we want to do, though, is, is think more holistically and not rely on, well, I need to know what their level of functioning is or what their level of cognition is like. Um, because 
as I said in a previous episode, unless you're a mind reader, you're never going to know what that person's level of knowledge is like unless they have a reliable means to communicate. So we need to give them that first and then we can go from there. When you think about assessment tasks, all assessment tasks are basically the observation of a motor response to a sensory input. So the motor response might be looking, pointing, gesture, touching a switch or speech to a sensory input such as auditory, visual or tactile sensation. So every assessment we ever do is have is the observation of that motor response to that sensory input. And then we figure out did that motor response was that the correct motor response for that sensory input? So if you think about a self, for example, when we do selves, if we think about the following direction subtask, we give an auditory direction and then what we watch for or observe for is a pointing motor response to make sure that that person has been able to follow the direction appropriately. The internal process of cognition and language understanding are then inferred from the person's particular movement responses to carefully selected sensory inputs. So that's what I was saying around the self. If we give the following directions subtest and we see that they've pointed to the wrong items, we then assume their cognition and their level of language understanding. We infer it from their motor response. We go, okay, they may not know their next two prepositions. So lack of success isn't necessarily around cognition though. So it might be due to difficulties for any reason such as physical. So they may not have the physical out, physical capabilities or the physical skills to be able to give us the response that we need. It might be sensory, it could be cognitive, um, it could be social emotional, and it could be communication skills as well. So we need to remember that just because we don't get the motor response that we're expecting for the sensory input doesn't mean the person doesn't have the cognition. And that's why the self is not normed for people that have disabilities, because it's really wanting to focus on the cognitive side of language, not on whether the person can reliably point or not, or whether the person has speech output. So sensory and movement challenges can result in different communication abilities. The people that we're working with are juggling a lot of balls all of the time. So most of the time, our people with complex communication needs have more than complex communication happening. They have usually have trouble with some sensory regulation, positioning of their bodies, movement patterns, and their processing. So they usually have a lot of balls that they're juggling in the air. And what we don't want to do is wait for that spontaneous combustion of skill before we offer support because we don't know what is impacting this person's ability to show us what they know. And if we assume it's cognition, we're we're doing an injustice to our clients. So when we're doing an assessment process, the first thing that you can do, the best thing you can do is observe. How does the person currently interact with their communication partner? And when you're you're observing, you want to look for anything that supports the person's communication function and anything that limits their communication function. So that could be in terms of sensory, motor, cognition, social, emotional, pragmatics, and language skills. 
So what we normally do is we have an assessment form or what I normally do is have an assessment form where I have all of those items listed out. And and on the other side, I've got a table. So I've got um, on one column, sensory motor, cognitive, social, emotional, pragmatic language skills. And then I have in the next column supports and the next column limits. And what I'm doing is observing for anything that I think might be supporting their communication or limiting their communication. So for example, in sensory, something that might limit somebody's communication is that they have a visual impairment. So that might impact on, I need to know that because that's going to impact on the size of the symbols that I provide the, the types of symbols that I provide too, whether they're high contrast or standard contrast, or it might be that they are hyper attune, in tune with, or, or they're very hyper aroused by um, sensory input. So what I mean by that is that uh, by visual input. So what I mean by that is they're like, oh, I really like the color on this page. So I'm going to look at this page or this symbol and I'll get a bit fixated on it. So that might limit the person's communication function. Whereas motor-wise, a strength might be that they're able to independently move around. So knowing that, I can go, okay, well, the device or the system that I give them, they're able to access it independently. So they might be able to carry it on them or they may be able to go up to somebody to ask them, hey, I need my device. And not so much ask them because if we say ask, it assumes that the other person can control whether it's given or not and they can't. So they're going up and telling them, I need my device. I have something to say. Um, whereas something that limits might be that they have cerebral palsy and have difficulty grading their movements. So they're able to point and they're able to direct direct access a system, but they're a little bit, they struggle with grading. And so they might be aiming for a point on the screen or on the book, but on their way there, their motor plan breaks down and they end up hitting a symbol that they might not have meant. Um, and so that could be limiting their communication function. Um, social emotional might be around like their their um, resilience and their uh, support networks that are around them. So, for example, something that would be considered a support in social emotional would be a family member that really believes in this person's ability to learn. That is awesome. We've got somebody there who is going to champion this AAC journey for this person. Whereas a limiter might be somebody who says, oh, they've got somebody on their team that says, I know everything they want to say. Um, And so that's going to limit the person's communication function because that person doesn't have the belief that this person has autonomous thoughts without them. And so then we know, okay, we're going to need to work with getting on the same page and helping this person understand that they don't know everything the person wants to say. So you want to go through and you want to think about each of those areas and what's supporting and what's limiting the person. You also then want to see what strategies are being used already for them to meet their communication requirements. So like we talked about before, what are they, what strategies are they doing? How are they meeting their varied communication requirements? We all communicate. People with complex communication needs are communicating. We just need to figure out how they're currently communicating to meet all of their communication requirements. 
And then we want to rate this based on how intelligible is it, how efficient, how specific, how independent, and how socially valued are these strategies that they're using. And then what are the strategies that their communication partners are using to help there be successful communication? Are they slowing down? Are they offering choices? Are they saying, oh, Billy, I'm not sure what you're trying to say. Can you take me to it? Are they giving those those sorts of supports to try and help that person get their message across? So while you're, rec- while you're observing, you want to really record all this information. And at this point, you're just taking it all in. You're not adding anything at this point. You're literally just observing, documenting it all so that you can see what is helping and what is not and, and coming up with a hot or not checklist, I guess. <laughs> then once you've done that, once you've seen what the person can do without you getting involved, then what you want to do is start trialing some strategies. So AAC is a very dynamic assessment process. So um, what we would do then is is jump in, jump into some activities that the person likes to do and trial different strategies and see what the person shows interest in. So you might use keyword sign or ASL. You might use um, activity language specific boards or LS boards. And when you're using those boards, you want to make sure that you're using different sizes, So you might have nine cell or a 20 cell or a 60 cell and see what gets the person's attention. You then also want to try different presentations too. So are you going to, do you get more um, interaction and engagement if it's a high contrast symbol set um, compared to the standard contrast symbol set? So what's what's the difference there in terms of the person's engagement and interaction with you? You might try some pod books or some other symbol-based books, electronic apps as well. So you might try like TD Snap or um, Lamp or something along those lines. And again, you're assessing and seeing what is this person interested in? So what you're looking for is not that they can use it to meet their varied communication requirements. There's no way you're going to know that in one or two sessions. Um, But what you're looking for is their attention. Do they show an interest in it? Do they look at it? Do they still? So even just that they might be um, stimming on something um, and they see that you're modeling away on some sort of communication system and they still, even for a millisecond, they might still and that kind of shows you, hey, you might have their attention. Is there a certain sense of calm? You know, do they feel like, does it feel like they now understand what's happening around them because you've been modeling with a certain type of system? Do you get any eye gaze? Do you get any reaching for one in particular? If they go up and they grab one, that's a really great sign that they sh- they have an interest or an a- they've given attention to a certain level of AAC. Um, and, you know, do they go up and start copying you? Because if there's any imitation, you know you've got something that they're interested in and that they can use. So you kind of want to just start with your best guess. People always ask me, where do I start with AAC? You know, is there this magic formula that helps me figure out exactly where I should start? And the answer is unfortunately no. There's no magic formula. There's no, this is the perfect spot to start. It's really dependent on the person and and you just want to make your best guess. Um, I usually try to um, start higher than 
then lower as well. So a lot of people will say, oh, I'll start with, um, you know, a nine cell symbol board um, and then go up from there. And usually my question is why? Why would you start there? And usually they don't really know. It's just that they think that's the easiest. Um, Whereas it gives you nowhere to go. You really shouldn't use a symbol board that has less than nine symbols on it because you're making it way too hard for that person to access their vocabulary to meet their varied requirements. Um, If you have less than nine cells on a page, that means you're going to need a whole heap more pages and you're going to make the the system really heavy or really clunky to use. Um, So nine should be the minimum. But if you start at a nine and, and you're like, oh, I'm not really getting the engagement here, you've got nowhere to go either. So um, I would usually start somewhere in the middle. Um, start with your best guess. What's the person? Do some a dynamic assessment. What are they kind of interested in? Um, and then move up or down from there. And I guess the, the thing to remember here is the important point is to just start. You don't need to get it right. Um, there's no right AAC system out there. There's generally the system itself doesn't matter too much. Um, what you want to be thinking about is once you've got a system that seems to meet that person's um, sensory, motor, um, language requirements, then the most important part is the modeling and the implementation. So you might choose, let's just throw out TD Snap. You might choose that as your option. And and then you give that to the person. You're like, yep, that seems that's the right one. Or I think that's going to be the right system. It doesn't overly matter if it is or not. What matters is then that everybody else around them is modeling the system for them. Because I could say to you, hey, I think Spanish is going to be your best bet for you to learn to communicate fluently in your world um, and I have based on you know the types of people that you integrate and interact with the types of work that you do all of those sorts of things um, and so I might say Spanish is the best language for you to learn but it doesn't necessarily matter too much what the language is as long as I'm modeling and that's the language that everybody around you is going to model and understand as well. Um, so if I said to you here, learn Spanish, but everybody around you is using German, I've probably not done a very good job at best guessing um, and would really need to help teach everybody else Spanish first so that they can model Spanish around you. So same thing with the system. Whatever the system is you end up using, you're going to need to teach the communication partners to use it. Um, And that's the most important part so that they can model, not necessarily whether you get it right or not. I always complete a pragmatic profile with with clients as well. Um, And the reason I do this is for a couple of things. But I do it with the person's entire support team. So if they're in school, I'll do it with their teacher, their parents, um, grandparents if they're if they're involved, um, or if they have support workers, I get them to come along as well. And it really helps me to get an understanding of what everybody thinks this person is communicating and when or and how. So the pragmatic profile goes through all of our different pragmatic purposes. 
And it will ask them, how does the person tell you they don't like something? How does the person tell you that they, um, you know, they have a question? How does the person ask you questions? How does the person answer your questions? All of those sorts of things. And what it does is it helps you to um, figure out what do the communication partners think the purpose of communication is. And then I use this as a bit of a launch pad to talk about the importance of varied communication and that what we're looking for in this communication system is not just for the person to be able to request. What I'm looking for is a robust communication system for this person to be able to communicate all of their um, pragmatic functions. And it also helps for if you do have anyone in the person's um, support team that says, oh, I don't need to do this. I already know everything they want to say. Um, because it helps them to say, well, actually, you don't know what their opinion is on this or you don't know what they want. Um, and it's a nice little launch pad to have those conversations. Um, it's also a really good pre and post outcome measure. So although it is lengthy and it takes time to uh, one, work through to begin with because you want to dive deep, um, but also to then analyze it and put it into a format that helps make sense for an assessment report. That does take time, but then it gives you a really good pre and post outcome measure. So in 12 months time, you can redo it and then go, okay, well, now how is this person asking questions? Now, how are they answering questions? Now that they've got this form of communication that they can utilize, are we meeting more of their varied communication requirements from a pragmatic purpose point of view? You can conduct a language analysis, language sample analysis, uh, just back on the um, pragmatic profiles. You can get those online um, just by googling pragmatic profiles. Um, there is another assessment called an AAC profile, which we'll talk about in a second, but it's a little bit different to a pragmatic profile. Well, actually a lot different. We'll talk about that one in a second. So you can do a language sample analysis uh, to see how long their utterance length is, what types of phrases they're using, what types of sentence structure from a syntactic point of view are they using, word morphology, all of that sort of stuff. Um, that's absolutely okay and, and good to do. It does give you some more information. You then want to identify the key issues for participation and learning. So if we think about the ICF, the International Classification and Functioning, um, and looking at that participation part of the framework and what are the issues that are impacting on that person's participation in their life that's really important. Like we said, identify the supporting and limiting uh features that are uh, supporting and limiting the person's current communication, any other information that you need and how you need to obtain this. So that might be, hey, I'm going to need to talk to an OT about their upper limb functioning. So in Australia, that would be an OT. It might be a physiotherapist um, or a physical therapist if you're in America. Um, who else on the team do you need to get involved? Then determine the person's communication requirements as well. So what are those situations this person needs to communicate in? And what's the vocabulary required? And the best way, if you ask a parent or a teacher or a support worker, what vocabulary does this person need? It will be all very needs and directive based. It will be things like, it's time for your bath, go get a book, um, time to sit down. It'll be all very adult directed language or um, yeah, directive giving language. 
So the best way to figure out what vocabulary is required is to actually go and observe the person's peers. So if they're at work, if they're working, go to their work and observe what is the language and the vocab that the rest of the company are using there and write all of that down and make sure their system has that. If they're at school, go and watch their class and what are they talking about and what are they discussing and what words are they using? Um, We all know that the teenagers have a whole vocabulary unto themselves um, that the rest of us don't understand. And so we need to make sure that the people we're working with, if they're teenagers, they have access to this vocab as well. They want to be able to say yeet and on point and slaps and all these other words that I uh, am constantly trying to figure out what they mean. Um, So we need to make sure we have access to those. Or if they're in daycare or kindergarten, what are their peers using? What kind of words? It's very um, autonomy directed. It's like, that's mine. It's my turn. Um, Go away. I don't like it. It's very advocacy driven. Um, And so we need to make sure the person has access to all of those sorts of words as well. Um, And then you can, you want to start writing your goals. So you want to figure out, you've done all of your assessment process, you've got a really good idea of their communication requirements, what their strengths are, what areas they need to develop. You've uh, figured out where their communication partners are sitting, what kind of belief systems their communication partners might be holding on to without even knowing. Um, because that is all the information you need to help you figure out what are your next steps. So like I said, you can also do an AAC profile, which is an assessment you do need to purchase. Um, and it goes through things like linguistic competence, operational competence. Um, there's two other competencies as well. Uh, social competence and strategic competence. So those can be it can be really helpful. Um, to to kind of figure out where is this person at based on these different competencies. Uh, And it's another really good pre and post outcome measure as well. And it kind of helps with that planning intervention because you can have a look and go, okay, well, based on their linguistic competence, um, you know, how are they going? Or based on their operational competence, is the person able to turn the device on? Are they able to turn the volume up or down when they... Uh, you know, maybe up if they want to get their message across really loudly or down if they want to whisper. You know, can they operate the system to meet their communication requirements? Um, And social competence is things like their motivation, their drive to communicate with others, um, the connection that the tool can be actually be used to communicate with others as well. Do Do they understand that? their attitude, um, not just of them, but of their communication partners too. So their willingness to use AAC or to um, learn AAC, their confidence um, and what's their propensity like to try and communicate. So what is their um, resilience like? Because it's going to be hard and it's they are going to come up against barriers where people are um, you know, going, thinking, oh, that's a bit different or uh, no, you can't use that. I've had um, a kid in school for an assessment piece was told they can't use their AAC to give a presentation. Um, and so I had to go into bat with the teacher about, for, for the client, but with the teacher about why that's not appropriate. Um, and, you know, this this person had spent years of people telling her that her mode of communication was not acceptable and so we need to help these 
these people that the client is coming up in contact with to be able to understand so we can help build the person's confidence and also their resilience to keep trying. At Toby Dynavox, it is our mission to empower people to do what they once did or never thought possible. As a global leader in assistive communication, we strive to provide innovative solutions, support, and resources to individuals, caregivers, and our professional partners. With a variety of hardware and software for diverse users of all age groups and with various diagnoses, we are your partner throughout the AAC journey and beyond. Learn more at tobydynavox.com. Let's now chat about how we then discuss these results with our, with our clients and their communication partners. So what I do is I am super honest. You've got to be honest. You've got to tell the full story and you've, you've really got to get people on board. So the most important thing when you, well, like I've said before, when you're implementing AAC is the modeling and the access. So if you don't have communication partners that are on board, AAC is not going to work because they're not going to have it accessible for the client and they're not going to be modeling it. And if we don't have those two things, the person will never learn to use their system. So once you've got all of this information, all of these results, then you can start to figure out, okay, well, these are the the things that the system must have for this person to meet their communication requirements. These are the things that are nice to have to meet their communication requirements. Um, or these are the things that I need to edit or make happen, or we need another system. So we've talked before about multimodal communication as well. There is no one system that's going to tick every single box for a person. Um, and also thinking about that in the event, uh, if it's high tech, it breaks down, that they have access to other low tech or no tech forms as well. Um, and so once you've got that, you can kind of do a bit of a um, device selection and go, okay, what's the best system that's going to meet all of these requirements for this person? Um, And then you want to take that back to the team, the person support team. And that would include their parents, their teachers, their colleagues, whoever is an important communication partner to them. And you want to make sure that you're all on the same page. So you can say, look, I can see that Billy is able to get his needs met. You guys are great at anticipating his needs. He's able to get his favorite foods and, you know, his drink is always available to him. And, um, you know, you make sure you ask him if he needs to go to the toilet every hour or so. Um, so his needs are getting met really easily. That's awesome. We don't want to take away from what you're doing there. But what I can see is that Billy isn't communicating what he thinks. He's not telling us his opinions of, of um, you know, of the show that he's watching or his thoughts on the concepts you're teaching in class. He's not communicating any questions that he has. Um, and he's not really involved in those classroom discussions either, or um, he's not really, it might be Bob instead of Billy. <laughs> uh, you know, Bob might not be communicating his um, his preferences or his choices on the hospital ward. Um, but the nurses are doing a great job of making sure that he gets fed and watered and, and taken to the toilet. Um you know, so you want to talk through, well, what are the things that are missing here? And then it's kind of like a sales pitch, um, but you really want to help bring people down into their 
why this is so important. So you might have someone, a, a parent who says, I know everything they want or um, I, know, I know what they intend to say. Um, which is beautiful. That's awesome. You've got such a great connection with your your person that you feel really connected, that you understand everything that they might be thinking. First of all, what happens if something happens to you tomorrow and and you're no longer around? How does this person still get that same level of connection and interaction and engagement in their world without you by their side? And that can sometimes be the one question that gets that aha moment of this is why we need to find a robust communication system. The other thing, if, if I'm really struggling with that particular type of um, belief system, would be that I say, well, when was the last time somebody knew exactly what was on your mind? Even as a baby, your mum and your dad had no idea what it was you wanted. They were guessing. They, when you were screaming, they guessed you were hungry. They guessed that you needed to go to bed or that you were bored. Um, and when you continued to scream, I'm sure they would say, I don't know what you want. Um, and so there is nobody who is able to read our minds. Um, and sometimes that's enough of an aha moment for the person as well to understand why that belief system is really limiting this person and their ability to grow. Um, so you want to, like I said, kind of a bit of a sales pitch in where you want to bring them down. You want to help them really understand, well, if, if we're not going to get on the same page and we're not going to implement AAC here, what's going to go wrong there? What's the problems with that? And then once they've understood why it is so important that you implement robust AAC and why it's so important that everybody is on the same page, then you can start to go, but hey, I've had a look, looked at all their communication requirements and found the the system that I think is the best fit for them. Um, and we're going, and this is what it is. And you show them what the system is. And then you talk about it. Now we need to, um, the, the only way that this person is going to learn this system is through modeling and access. And you can start to have those conversations. So you build them back up and you, you help them to see that there is light at the end of this, um, the little sad tunnel that we went down. Um, but that there, there is that possibility of growth and learning and all of those things. So when we're goal setting, um, we need to just recapping on on what the purpose of uh, AAC intervention is, is that people have with the people that people with complex communication needs have the opportunity to live happy and fulfilled lives where they are able to participate fully in education, employment, family and community life where they are safe and secure and have access to needed services, where they are respected and valued for who they are, where they have a chance to develop friendships and intimate relationships, and when they have the opportunity to make meaningful contributions to society. So we really need to be thinking about those things when we're looking at our goal setting as well. So that's where um, taking the ICF framework for your goal setting becomes really important because you want it to be functional. You want it to be meaningful. Um, We're not doing rehab when we're doing AAC. It's not a rehabilitation. It is a lifelong uh, support for this person to communicate from now until forever. 
So when we're goal setting, we want to remember to assume competence um, and be an advocate for autonomous communication. And the other thing with goal setting is that progress cannot be measured by the amount of prompts required. So if your goal is that Billy will share his opinion uh, on his on the TV show that he's watching with minimal prompting from the speech pathologist. That's not language. <laughs> language can't be prompted. Well, autonomous communication cannot be prompted. So what we need to do is to change that goal into that Billy will express his opinion if he chooses to do so. You know, we can't force somebody to give their opinion either. And so if he chooses to do so, Billy will express his opinion on the TV show that he is watching to help his communication partners understand what his favorite types of TV shows are. And that's your goal. Going back to that, expressing communication functions must be based upon the person's intent and therefore can only be modeled by others in context and not specifically prompted because we can't possibly know what the person's intent is. So if Billy's watching his TV show and he smiles and I go, oh, Billy, you like it. You're showing me you think it's good. You like the show. We have no idea if that's what Billy's smile meant. It might mean that he thought of a funny story or a funny thing that happened to him and he smiled about it. It might mean that he's thinking about someone he really loves um, or a pet that he's really fond of and a funny or a moment that happened that makes him feel really good inside. And here we are modeling, oh, you really like the show. Tell me like it. You need to show me like it, like the show. And we have no idea if that's actually what Billy's intent was with the smile. So all we can do is model our thoughts because we're the only one that knows our thoughts. So we might be watching the show and we might be like, man, this show is boring um, or scary, you know, like, or it might be dramatic or ridiculous. There might be all sorts of opinions that are coming up for you. And so you can model your thoughts. Oh, Billy. I have something to say. I think this is really boring or this is and and you want to make sure your face and your your tonal matches. I think this is really boring, Billy. Um it makes me want to sleep or you might be saying, "Hey, this is really funny. Oh, I love this comedian. He's funny." Um and you can model all of those thoughts as long as they're true. Again, Communication occurs naturally, so we need to make sure we're modeling in a really natural environment. So anyway, back to goal setting. I get very hung up on modeling, sorry. Back to goal setting, we can't be using prompts. Prompts shouldn't be part of our goals. We also can't really use percentages either because people should be able to communicate their autonomous thoughts 100% of the time if they want to. So having a percentage leads people to only offer a certain number of opportunities rather than focusing on always offering opportunities. So if you say, um, Billy will express his opinion on his favorite TV show nine out of 10 times. What do you think the communication partner is going to do? They're going to offer his device 10 times make marks as to whether he's done it nine out of those 10 times and then go, sweet, we've achieved that goal. But what if he doesn't want to model his opinion or share his opinion for seven out of the 10 times offered? What if he's like, oh, I know that Kate really loves this show, so I'm not going to make her feel bad and say that I don't like it because I want her to feel really good. 
And so then he might just tell me what he thinks I want to hear. So is that autonomous communication? Well, it is because it's in his intent. But is it his opinion? We don't know. We don't know if it's his true opinion or not. Um, and also, if he, he may choose to not say anything at all. He might be a man of few words, old Billy. Um, and so he might choose to not say his opinion because he doesn't want to share it at that point in time or he doesn't think it's relevant or he doesn't think it's valued. And so if we're saying nine out of ten times or seven out of ten times and we offer it 10 times, but he only does it twice. And we go, oh, Billy can't share an opinion. I don't think this is working. Well, we then kind of have put ourselves in this really awkward position of going, well, if it's not working, I need to do something about it. But it might actually just be that Billy didn't want to offer it for those times. So when we're thinking about adding in our percentages or a you know nine out of 10 times, for example, we just need to remove that altogether and say, Billy, if Billy chooses to do so, Billy will share his opinion on his on the TV shows that we're watching to help his communication partner understand what it is that he really likes. And then it's you know completely up to Billy how often he does that. One thing that I see happen really often is that people have expressive language goals from the beginning before the person has even had the opportunity to see the system in action. So your very first goal needs to be receptive. So this person will be exposed to somebody, a communication partner, sharing their opinion when watching a TV show, when they choose to do so. So we need to, because if we then, if if we didn't have that goal, and nobody had been modeling to Billy how to give an opinion, but our goal was that he would he would give an opinion expressively. How on earth can we expect him to be able to do that when he's not been taught or modeled it in context? So we need to make sure that we then show him. Okay, so our first goal, if we're working on opinions, if that's the area that we've noticed he's not able to meet his communication requirements, then it, we need to have our first goal as his communication partners will model their opinions during the TV show or during whatever it might be. I would usually recommend that you don't really have an expressive opinion, um, an expressive language goal for at least 12 months of modeling for the system. And I talk to parents and communication partners about this and I say, you need to be modeling for 12 months before we expect anything back. Um, and so that is why our goals are written this way, is that it's for you as the communication partner, not for Billy. Um, Billy's goals will come later once you've achieved yours as the communication partner because you're the main priority at this point. So all goals should be written within the person's natural context as well um, and not engineered. We want them to be genuine interactions. So, you know, we want it to be that, Billy will order his favorite coffee from the from the local cafe on Tuesdays when he goes there with his sister. That is a natural context. It happens. We're not engineering it. We're not going to then go and sit down and pretend to order a coffee. But we want his sister to model when she's there on a Tuesday with Billy to model how she orders her coffee. Um, and then you know, when he orders his, depending on what it is, if she knows what he might like, she might model um, 
uh, she might start the sentence like, hello, can I please have a, and then the screen comes up with all the different coffee orders and he can then maybe choose which one, a cappuccino, and then she can finish it with lactose-free milk or whatever it might be that he needs. The other thing when we're thinking about AAC goal setting is that progress can't be measured by the number of words used in a sentence either. So another common mistake that I see with goal setting is that the the goal will be written like, Billy will use a three-word sentence to express his opinion on the TV show that he's watching. Um, But again, let's think about natural communication if I was to say to you hey Stacy how what did you think of that show did you like it and you said yep perfect you we have had a really natural conversation um but if I said to you Stacy what did you think of the show did you like it and you said uh yes and I went oh nope Stacy remember it needs to be three words I like it then we've got a really unnatural conversation happening there So the way I would word these sorts of goals is that I would say something along the lines of um, Billy will um, express his opinion of TV shows to help his communication partners understand what he likes and doesn't like um, with the uh, appropriate number of words for the context. So it could be one word answer. It could be a seven word response. but it's appropriate to the context. So it depends on the question he's asked. It's dependent on um, what kind of words he uses for his opinion as well. So he might say, it was beautifully. And I'll be like, beautifully what? You can't do an adverb without without the next thing on there. So, um, you know, it was beautifully is a three-word sentence. So I would need to either shape it and go, did you mean it was beautiful? Um, Or did you mean it was beautifully dramatic? Or did you mean it was beautifully sad? Um, What did you mean with beautifully? Was Were they using it as an adverb or not? Uh, So yeah, thinking about the, the number of words when we're working with AAC is not important and we want to be using the uh, we want to shape our goals that it's the appropriate number of words required for the context and to meet our aim of is it specific so if I said what do you think of the show Billy and he said good it you know it's efficient he got his message across it was independent uh, it was intelligible. I was able to understand it. It was socially valued manner that he expressed it. Was it very specific? Good. I don't know. Like it could, it could be. Was um, he could be that could be very specific. It could be that he only thought it was good. But did he think it was excellent? Did he think it was amazing? Did he think it was great? Did he think it was okay? Like what what level of goodness did he think it was? And he might have thought it was just good, and that's great. He was specific. Um, but if we are again focusing on the length of the utterance, we're missing the rest of the piece, which is about the the context of communication. Okay, so I'm just going to pull up some goals that I think are really well worded. Um, when we're in terms of when we're planning intervention, we will always have goals that are around the communication partner. 
So one of the goals I really, really like is Billy's key communication partners will provide him with a language and aided language rich environment in order to further develop his expressive and social communication skills. So um, this is actually written by somebody that I work with, Krista Wessels, who's going to join us on one of the later podcasts. Um, And her goal setting around AAC is just incredible. Um, So yeah, that is one that I really like for their communication partners to understand that it's their role to be creating this language and aided language rich environment. So they need to be modeling. They need to be part of um, being able to, to support this person to understand that aided language is just as important as spoken language. So another goal that um, we really, I really like is that Billy will develop his ability to, as socially appropriate as possible, initiate interactions with his communication partners using a multimodal approach, including speech sign and aided uh, speech sign and symbol. Um, so we haven't really spoken about this too much yet, but what generally happens for people with complex communication needs is they spend a lot of time where they are responding. They're not initiating. So we will always have a goal around initiation is making sure the person feels comfortable to initiate that they have something to say with their communication partners. Um, then you can go into like more specifics with the pragmatics. So this one is around continuation or cessation. So Billy will develop his ability to effectively and specifically request continuation or cessation of activities and events using appropriate utterance length for the communication context, using a multimodal approach, including speech sign and symbol. So there you hear that we're talking about to effectively and specifically request continuation and cessation of activities and events. So this person is probably able to do finished and more, um, but they're not very specific. Finished what? More of what? Finished and more on their own don't tell us anything. Um, We need far more information about what it is that the person wants to finish or what they want more of. So there we're, we're wanting the person to be more specific, which means we're going to need more words. But we're using an appropriate utterance length for the communication context. So when we're thinking about that, I might say to Billy, hey, Billy, do you want to finish or have more bubbles? And he might say finish. And I, and that is appropriate. He's been specific based on the communication context because I've asked him a question, do you want to finish or do you want more? And if he's just done finish, he's answered my question and I've understood specifically. But if he came up to me and he's going more, 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 and I have no idea what he might be talking about. I wasn't interacting with him beforehand and he's come up and he's going more, 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 more. The utterance length, I need, I need more. I need more information. Um, and so his message isn't being specific there. Um, 
There might be things like for Billy to develop his ability to respond to communication breakdowns by answering a request for repetition, using specific language, using a multimodal approach, including speech sign and symbol. So you'll notice we always include speech sign and symbol because we're thinking multimodal. We're thinking this person needs access to high tech, low tech, no tech. Um, and what are those different options? And ultimately, our goal is always speech. And the reason our goal is always speech is because it is the most efficient method of communicating in our current society. Um, so those are just some examples. Um, Another one that I see a lot is about back and forth interactions. So this person will have back and forth interactions, um, which is great. Like I understand that we communication is a two way street and we have back and forth interactions. But if you put a number on the amount, you no longer have a natural conversation. We all know people that uh, take more of the turn in a conversation than what would be typical. We also know people that are happy to hand over a turn really quickly as well. So um, my partner is one of those people. He um, doesn't like the attention being on him. And so if somebody asks him what he does for work, he'll answer and quite quickly flip it back around to them um, and continue to try and get the turn back over to the other person. So if we said to for, for my partner, for example, okay, you need to have um, three back and forth equal turn interactions, he'll, he's not going to achieve that depending on the situation or depending on the communication partner. Um, so our goal, that the way that we write this, is that Billy will develop his social communication and interaction skills so he is able to maintain multiple back and forth interactions specific to the context with a communication partner using a multimodal approach. So what we're saying there is that it, they, he will learn to have a back and forth conversation, but the number of turns is irrelevant and the length of a turn is irrelevant because it depends on the context of the communication. And But we're specific to that by saying back and forth interactions specific to the context with the communication partner. Um, when you're doing data collection, um, you you can still do data collection with with AAC. It's just really important that you get people to not focus on how many times they did it. So you don't if you've given them the opportunity to give an opinion. We're just going to keep using that example. If you give them an opportunity to give them an opinion, you can mark that as an opportunity. But there's no limit on the amount of opportunities. And we actually know from research that people need 200 opportunities a day to learn to use a system. And so thinking about that, I wouldn't give people that number. I wouldn't give them you need to do this 200 times a day. One, because that will overwhelm everyone and be like, oh my God, how am I going to get 200 opportunities in today? Um, and two, if they are really great at doing 200 opportunities, you don't want to limit it at that either. You want as many opportunities as you can. Um, and so I say to people, the goal here is that you give as many opportunities in a day as possible. Um, and I want you to mark down every time you do that every day. So I can get an idea of how many times is this, is this person being exposed to giving an opinion. And then you might have, well, what was the behavior? So the behavior might be that they look or the behavior might be that they, um, you know, they respond in some way to your giving of an opinion. Um, or it might be if the goal is ex 
actually expression that they do give an opinion, it might be how often did they do that. And again, this isn't to give me a percentage. It's not to give me a six out of 10 or anything like that. This is to give me an idea of, okay, how many times when the opportunity arises to give an opinion, does this person choose to give an opinion? It's not right or wrong. It just helps me to kind of understand what might be going on. And then there's an opportunity to take notes. So we know that communication is uh, complex. We It's complex for us and we are people that use speech as a way of communicating. Um, so having notes on the context of the situation helps to understand, well, what was going on during that opportunity? So it might be that Billy was given an opportunity to share his opinion on a TV show he didn't take that opportunity. That's okay. And in the notes, it might be, we had lots of family around that day. It was super loud. No one was actually really watching the TV. Um, and, uh, and then I might go, okay, well, maybe Billy didn't think anyone actually wanted to hear his opinion at that time or that it was going to be responded to. Um, and so that kind of helps me to understand, well, it's not that he can't do it, but there was reasons why he chose not to. And showing people that as well is really helpful when you're evaluating is this working or not because like I said in the previous podcast or the previous episode is that people will uh, decide that a system isn't working way too quickly Um, and it's because we're not getting that immediate oh this is working and we, we we're not going to get that so that's everything for today um I guess in conclusion what is important to remember is it just take the best start it's most important to start than it is to get it right Um, and if you take your best educated guess you've done your observations you've you know you've done a few trials and you've kind of you've paid attention to what the person might be showing you they like or they don't like um, just jump in dive in and and really focus on those your communication partners first and foremost and that's going to be the best thing rather than trying to focus on uh, um, getting the system right because you're not going to get the system right what is more important is that there is a robust system that meets the person's communication requirements and their communication partners are on board. So that's what's important about the assessment process is making sure you're giving a system that does meet those requirements um, and that you've got the communication partners on board. That's a really important step in the process. So like I said, if you have any questions, please send them through to me. Um, My email, I'll tell you again, is kate, K-A-T-E, at speechease, S-P-E-E-C-H-E-A-S-E dot net dot A-U. I welcome all questions, thoughts, anything that's going through your minds that you, you'd love to share. Um, I, like I've said, I love talking about AAC and happy to, to jump in. Our next episode, we're talking about implementation and we've got a couple of guests joining us as well, uh, which will be really exciting and I'm keen to jump in with you guys. So just as a reminder that if your state license requires CEUs, um, make sure you complete all the course modules, including the one that says quiz on your speechtherapypd.com account. Have a great day. Thank you for joining us for tonight's course. To complete the course, you must log into your account and complete the quiz and the survey. If you have indicated that you're a part of the ASHA registry and entered both your ASHA number 
and a complete mailing address in your account profile prior to the course completion, we will submit earned CEUs to ASHA. Please allow one to two months from the completion date for your CEUs to be reflected on your ASHA transcript. Please note that if this information is missing, we cannot submit to ASHA on your behalf. Thanks again for joining us. We hope to see you next time. Thanks for joining us at SLP Learning Series. Remember to go to speechtherapypd.com to learn more about earning ASHA CEUs. We appreciate your positive reviews and support and would love for you to write a quick review and subscribe. If you like this and want to hear more, we are offering an audio course subscription special coupon code to listeners of this podcast. Type the word SLP Learn for $20 off. With hundreds of audio courses on demand and new courses released weekly, it's only $59 per year with the code. Visit speechtherapypd.com and start earning ASHA CEUs today.